Hey everyone, welcome back to the interview dump truck. I neglected to post an interview last week because I'm a bad person, and also because I forgot. Since we haven't had a chance to properly discuss the reaction to my recent piece on Skullgirls during the podcast, I wanted to share my entire interview with Lab Zero Games CEO Peter Bartholo. I'm usually hesitant to cover crowdfunding endeavors, but in raising money for a new character in Skullgirls, Lab Zero was uniquely providing super detailed information on why it would cost $100,000 to implement a new character in Skullgirls. I wanted to know more about it. It proved to be an interesting conversation and helped illustrate the growing disparity between what modern video games cost to make and what people think it costs to make them. As I mentioned last week, most of the interviews I do happen over Skype, so you'll have to excuse some of the audio quality. This one's pretty good, uh, but it's not as good as what we record up in the podcast room or the other productions here at Giant Bomb. Uh, All that said, uh, we're going to jump into the conversation a couple minutes in where Peter and I are winding down, talking about my collarbone injury, uh, and getting into talking about raising money for Skullgirls. Enjoy. Uh, I won't know for for a while. Yeah. Either way, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I think we're, I'm, all our artists are asleep because they're basically up all night refreshing. <laughs> um, you, got, you guys uh, hit it this morning, right? Yeah, like we hit it like half an hour before the 24-hour mark. Um, I was like in the shower and <laughs> crossed it while I was in the shower. Uh, we're about to cross the first stretch goal of uh, stage and story mode, um, which was only 175. Uh, oh, only. Well, I mean, only an additional <laughs> twenty-five thousand. No, I know because the next character is like two hundred thousand. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're feeling pretty good because, I mean, it's funny because like the Indiegogo campaign manager guy was like, "Yeah, your presentation and text is really compelling, but I really think you're going to have a hard time with this." What and- What was the What was the worry on their end? Just because, like, is Indiegogo traditionally lower scale? projects like i don't really like i i know that you know you, you explain that you get the money faster and i my I, I understand they take a lower cut at indiegogo uh ostensibly to be more competitive with kickstarter but like what would uh like where would was that worry coming from on their front uh i think i mean i don't know we were getting that from everybody and we had it ourselves just because i mean making dlc for a game is a weird thing I'm, nobody's done this as, as far as i know yeah i, I can't think of a a comparison. And it's also really weird because, you know, we were a published game that is now crowdfunding and expansion just because of all the legal bullshit we're, uh, Autumn has gotten enmeshed in. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's like it's a really weird situation, but apparently we made our case pretty well. Um, so I know, I, I, know, I know one of the things that I mentioned to you when you, when you first linked it to me was... Uh, you know, my experience covering Kickstarters is that traditionally people tend to ask for about fifty percent, feeling that if you get it, oh, most most most. Huh? Uh, I just got an email from Indiegogo saying that we have now officially become the biggest gaming campaign ever on Indiegogo. That's awesome. Yeah, way to go. Um, where you know, because Kickstarter has a psychology of its own, where you know people only want to back a winner. So if you can get over the line, most places tend to go way over the line as opposed to just barely making it. I mean, certainly there are cases where that's happened, but uh, by and large, if you're going to go over your goal, you're going to go well over. So it was uh, striking to me that you guys chose to be very specific. And other places have done that, but like I know the uh, Sports Friends guys uh, did that for their Kickstarter. 
very clearly saying that we, they couldn't ask for 50% or any, any percentage that wasn't 100% because in the event that they didn't get the money they actually needed, there was no reason to have done this in the first place. Yeah, um, we were in the same boat. I mean, and we definitely didn't want to do any of the stuff like you mentioned yesterday where uh, – you know, campaigns or have their actual amount of money they need in hopes of basically building on the hype that, you know, they meet their goal and then they get the the compounding effect to get more than they actually need. But like that would have screwed us. Like we couldn't do that because, I mean, as you can see on the contract or on the breakdown, like we have a bunch of contractors that we have to employ and we can't really ask them for like they're not making much money to begin with. So we can't ask them to take pay cuts and stuff like that. Um you know, we don't want to be in a code hero situation either. And so when you guys were talking about putting this together, like what was the conversation over how transparent to be? Because I've also noticed that you you guys were about as transparent as you can get. You know, you guys actually did the breakdown and you have, you know, some, some cute art to go with that as well. But that, you know, part of the fun of Kickstarter, I think for a lot of people, is just kind of throwing money into the wind and not really not really getting a better sense of how game development works. And in some ways, these funding sites have misrepresented how expensive or what game development really is like. And uh, I'm, I'm curious what the conversation was for you guys about how transparent you guys thought you should be and if you had always thought you should arrive at this conclusion that you actually published with, which was basically go as far as you can in, in what you're able to say up front. Uh, I mean, these things take a lot more work than I think even we expected when we did it. Like it was literally like we were at lunch at Curry House and people were like, you know, I think we ought to try it because I don't know why not. And they were thinking they would like, oh, we'll throw it up in a week. But then um, I don't know if you saw the whole Evo fundraiser thing Mm -hmm. like that happened and that took off. And so we had to delay for like a month or more just because uh, we didn't want that to land we didn't want our campaign to land too close to that after we'd asked for a bunch of money from that. Right. Um, but I mean the whole, we, I don't know. We didn't talk about it that much. I just said we needed to be transparent about it because I thought that that was the right way to go. And so we did it. Um, I mean, we've always tried to be really transparent. Like, I don't know if you remember any of the blog posts that we did when the game was in development, but we've always kind of taken a very much like game dev one one approach to all of this. Cause I mean, People don't know anything about game development. Like, and the people that you think might know something about it, like, know shockingly little. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you go to Gaff and like nobody knows anything about game development. Right. It's, it's, it's probably true of a lot of people in my position as well. Yeah, and I mean, those they're supposed to be more informed than the average person, and you try to talk to them and they don't get it. Um, and you know, I don't know if you also saw like the joystick article that went up twelve hours before our thing mm-hmm. went up. They just put the number out there, 150,000. We got a bunch of comments like, oh, they're greedier than Capcom <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, like completely baseless things, you know, from people who don't know anything about game budgets. And yes, their perception of that is absolutely distorted by Kickstarter because people are like, well, I saw, you know, Kickstarter for a whole game for less than this. Or um, like there was a, a comment about how uh, the My Little Pony fighting game. Right. Like, well, that game was free. And it's like, one, it had to be because there were using the license right. in a way that would never get authorized. And two, like an actual developer from Fighting is Magic posted on there and said, no, this game cost us a lot to make. We just paid for it with time instead of, you know, like we did it in our free time over the course of two years. But like if we had been paid for it, it would have been, a, you know, it would have cost something. Um, 
And people don't seem to understand that the time is money. And, you know, if we're going to do this full time, we need to be paid for it. And so even though, you know, that, that certainly makes sense, uh, how prepared, you know, now it's, it's easier in retrospect because you've hit the initial goal and, you know, regardless of how far you get in the stretch, you hit that uh, initial bit that you're looking for. But I know that, you know, like when I was talking to you as it first went up, like seeing some of those comments were, you know, were you guys prepared for that? Was that like dispiriting when you started seeing that? Or in some ways is, is that kind of empowering thinking that like, you know, pe- more people need to be out there explaining exactly what these costs are. Because $2 million sounds like a lot of money, but it, in reality, if you're staffing any, any sort of endeavor for a modern game, even if it's a 2D fighting game, uh, it's really not that much money. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was frustrating seeing, I mean, the Joystick article was frustrating because it didn't provide any context and it didn't contact us for any. Mm-hmm. Um, Kotaku actually, like, was, actually, like, did the journalistic thing and contacted me and I gave them, I basically gave them all of the breakdown info and everything before the campaign went live to kind of get that out there. Um I don't know. Like, I don't expect people to understand this stuff, but at the same time, it'd be cool if they didn't like call us greedy liars when <laughs> when we when we do put it out. How uh, uh, how how long did it take to actually come up with that that breakdown, or was that something that was pretty easily translatable from having already gone through the project? Uh, it was pretty easy to get because we had a rough idea of the budget from uh, like what it was going to be when uh, like when we were all at Reverge still. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it was taking the budget from that and modifying it for the reduced salaries we paying everybody. Does, does any of that change if this continues to be successful? Like, or, or is no matter how this plays out, uh, like sort of the reduced salaries and things like that, or are sort of part of the bargain in order to make this happen at all? Uh, I mean, the reduced salaries were kind of part of the bargain, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. Um, right now, nobody's expecting to get a massive bump out of it. Uh, I don't think, but it's going to depend on like where we end up. If we end up in the middle of two goals, which I'm sure we probably will, um, you know, we'll have to figure out how we can one make sure that we're not using that money on ourselves so much. Like maybe we can give people a little bit of a pay bump to make it them a little more comfortable. Because if you look at the math, it's not that much money for especially for LA um, that we're paying people. It's like an average of six hundred dollars a week. Um, uh, yeah, I live there. That's not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, there might be a little room in there for a little bit of a pay bump um, or possibly maybe just health benefits would be great because nobody's getting that right now. Um, there's also uh, – but, I mean, like, we definitely want to use all the money for just giving people more shit if possible. Um, like, I'm already – like, we have our patron saint tier which keeps selling out. We've sold out 24 $1,000 things now. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, like, I'm now looking for money to get more stages in the game to hold all these characters that people <laughs> in. Um, and I'm trying to get that going, like, right now. Like, uh, I've been talking to 8-4 lately about trying to get Yamane going on composing new music for it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and again, we want to, you know, because we really like showing people the development process, um, you know, like as soon as we start on that, like I'm going to be posting a concept image and then I'm going to post, you know, a color concept and then the first 3D models and, hey, Yamane just sent some work in progress music. What do you think? And just go through the whole thing so people can watch it. 
um, and just try to do as much with it as we can, like the money. Um, there are other features we want to put in, uh, you know, depending on how it ends up, there could be a port that comes out of it. A lot of people are asking for a Vita port. Um, I don't know there's, it's all going to depend on what, it, how much it is. And, uh, what was the motivation behind making it free for everyone? A lot of that just came down to like logistical stuff. Um, Sony and Microsoft charge for downloadable codes. Right. And basically like, I don't know the exact cost of it, but it, I mean like, like it was prohibitive to be able to do that, not to mention difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's much cheaper for us to release it free to everybody for a while and then increase the price later. So that was the main driver. Um, I think it could also end up being a good promotional tool for the game. Um, just because, you know, like, I think, you know, people will see this and then maybe a bunch of people buy the core game before, you know, Squiggly's free period expires and right before uh, Big Band's free period comes in. Stuff like that. So was this, uh, were there alternatives to trying to get this DLC off the ground or was this, you know, we'll, we'll try this if for some reason it doesn't work, it's some weird misfire, you know, all of our capital was spent on this recent Evo thing. Was was that it or were, were there alternate plans to try and go down uh, to try and make some of this happen if this didn't work out? I mean, we'd been kind of patiently waiting for uh, Autumn's legal situation to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the whole reason we're in this situation is because uh, I'm sure you've, you're familiar with the Def Jam Rap Star. Yes. Um, well, so that's been, you know, that's still going on and is not expected to get resolved anytime soon. And because the bank has made a claim on Autumn's revenue, they can't do anything that, like, they can't sell any of their IPs or anything like that, which is why, for example, for the PC version, they had to partner up with Marvelous to do it. So they can't get investors because they have a claim on their revenue. They can't sell the IP to somebody who could do it. Um, so they're just kind of completely blocked up. Um, they're also suing Konami, which is going to make it take even longer, too, which is, uh, I guess, not widely known at this point. But, you know, it's a matter of public record. Um, and so part of the reason you guys went with Indiegogo is because you, now that you've hit the 150000 you you guys have already, some of that money is already starting to come in, correct? Yes. Um, that's a huge, that was a huge advantage for us because, again, our guys are pretty close to the edge financially. And, you know, being able to pay them after one day instead of 30 days is vastly preferable. Yeah, because I, I think that's that's definitely one of the things that people don't, I think, realize what happens with Kickstarter is that, you know, even these Kickstarters that make millions of dollars, uh, you know, the Kickstarter has to close. And then I think it's like at least a month before uh, all of that stuff goes through the Amazon payments uh, and like everyone takes their cut and then that ends up in a bank account that's usable. Yeah, um, I mean, I believe Indiegogo uh, says that you'll be paid within a day of uh, doing your thing. Like, all of the things are processing now. Uh, as of now, we have 34000 of the 150000 goal um, in our bank ac- or in our PayPal account. Um, so, yeah, they're all just slowly coming in. And, and so, it's, so yeah. when, you, when you have it trickling in, like, how does that translate into like the work beginning or has the work already kind of been ongoing in the hopes that it's not a ramp up when money does or doesn't come in, but like how, how does that start getting delineated when it's coming in sort of in chunks uh, so early as opposed to, you know, a lump sum of, you know, 150,000. Uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to be 
actually paying anything until the first um, chunk is in. And I mean, also this happened so much faster than we expected that uh, <laughs> right. ready for it. Um, like when everybody wakes up, it's all hands on deck to say like, you know, get some info and art up for big band, the next character we're trying to fund. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and also, you know, there's a lot of legal stuff we need to do to get going as well, such as, uh, uh, like get contracts going out to all of our contractors so that they can start working and, you know, we're covered on all of that. Um, I, I think we thought we would at least have a couple of weeks to get all that stuff ready and we don't. So now it's just kind of a matter of, you know, there's only so much you can do even though you've hit the goal now, but that what can we do to accelerate that process even though it's not quite the roadmap we were expecting? Exactly. What was like, how much does that change that roadmap given like, what was your most optimistic scenario for, for how this would have played out? Um, I mean, honestly, we didn't have one. Like, we were just kind of hopeful that we would hit 150,000 in 30 days. Um, you know, and we put the stretch goals on there because like, it's a thing that you do. <laughs> and we, I mean, we tried to design the stretch goals in ways that would be appealing to our fans. I mean, like big band is, I mean, one, a lot of people are excited about male characters coming into Skullgirls. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, big band was kind of like the most, he's in one of the stage backgrounds. So people knew him. And we're excited about him. So we made him the second character. Um, and then, you know, people just really like the game and its world and its characters. So I had the idea that we would kind of do the, uh, you know, reveal more characters as sort of a progress bar to get people excited. And if by some craziness happens that we manage to actually fund a third character, then we would do those by fan vote. And it's actually like people seem to be really enjoying the character reveals um, I don't know if we'll ever actually get through all of them, but people at least seem to be really enjoying that aspect of it. And there are already factions forming about who they're going to vote for um, and all of that kind of stuff, which is pretty exciting. And, and then also, like, the, the the listing itself is is also in Japanese. Like, what, what was the motivation behind listing a bunch of that stuff as well? Uh, we've had a ton of Japanese fans for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, like... When surprisingly we were, so or or kind of in line with what you guys were expecting uh i mean i would say surprisingly so considering that like you know like we've had fan art on pixiv for years like before the game was even ever supposed to come out um and then once the game was announced we got it a lot more we had a ton of japanese fan art and japanese interest um but uh the real thing that did it was we came out um in japan on valentine's day and uh on psn and like we were the number one PSN game that week. And it's like, okay, we should probably engage the Japanese audience. Um, our Japanese publisher, Cyberfront, I mean, they've already, I think, sold more copies of the game than they expected to in the lifetime of the game in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So they're very happy with the results. And so we just figured it was, we should be trying to engage that audience as well. And it seems to be working because uh, I've seen a lot of comments from Japanese players and tweets of people saying that they want, that they uh, you know supported us and that they can't wait to play with these new characters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess uh, you know I, I haven't seen one that's had you know specifically that you know appeals to or attracts a, a Japanese audience. And like, do you get a do you get a breakdown of like geographically where the money is coming in at all? Like, how I have no sense of like is Kickstarter a known quantity or the idea of crowdfunding a thing uh, sort of like outside of North America and Europe? Um, 
crowdfunding is apparently very new in Japan. Um, we're actually probably going to add a, a section to the Japanese uh, translation, just kind of explaining the concept, mm -hmm. just because, you know, I don't think everybody's super aware of it. Apparently right, there's right. a site that's fairly popular in Japan called campfire.jp. Um, but yeah, so we're trying to make it as clear and understandable to the new audience because since they're, not, you know, it's just not a thing over there like it is over here. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that kind of covers my baseline of questions unless there's, unless there's something else you, you wanted to cover um, that didn't come up. Uh, not really. Not that I can think of. We're just kind of absolutely blown away. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was literally on the verge of tears several times this morning and uh, yeah, I don't know. We have the best fucking fans in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, yeah, I would have, I would not have been I'm pleasantly surprised to not see that the enthusiasm was all just spent on, on that Evo. Cause that Evo stuff was already, you know, incredible uh, on its own, but that it translated so quickly to all this stuff too. Um, I mean, you guys definitely seem to be, in, in, unfortunately, in some ways, operating under the radar. But the people that are supporting you under that radar uh, are certainly very dedicated and uh, willing to support something they care about, which is that that's a hard thing to pull off these days. Yeah, um, we've been. I mean, we work very, very, very closely with our community. Um, like, we will take direct feedback. Um, probably the best example of this is like at Evo. Uh, 2011 mm -hmm. we unveiled the, the character parasol and uh mike had her there for play testing and people were kind of like i'm not really feeling her and gave a bunch of feedback and he went back to the hotel room that night and completely re-implemented her um based on their feedback and people tried it out the next day and they're like yeah this is much better and that's actually what she came out as like we're really big on that kind of stuff and you know our fans seem to respect and acknowledge that Cool. All right. Well, uh, if anything else comes up, uh, I'll let you know. Otherwise, uh, maybe I'll let you get some rest. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we did just cross the, uh, the first thing. So I awesome. Trying to get big band to happen now. Awesome. All right. Well, I will leave you to it. Uh, and, and I'll be in touch, but congrats again, Pete. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care.